Kiefer from Body.io. Welcome everybody to my new podcast, Deconstructing Health. Now, I'll explain what the title, Deconstructing Health, means in a little bit. But I wanted to start with talking about words. I know this may seem like a strange topic for what is apparently a health podcast. But it's one that's particularly important in this industry. For example... Being in Belgrade, Serbia, I've met some people and I run into them occasionally on the street. And the other day I was walking home from the grocery store, which one peculiarity about Serbia is that there's very few sugar-free energy drinks. And anybody who knows me personally knows I really enjoy my sugar-free energy drinks. Coffee's okay from time to time, and I've come to rely on it a bit more here in Belgrade but I really do miss some of the good energy drinks. Well, recently, the importation of sugar-free Red Bull has just hit Serbia, but only a few stores have it. So I went to one of the stores a few blocks away from my place and I'm walking home with two bags full of sugar-free Red Bull. And as Cooper and I are walking down the street, we run into actually the woman who used to live in the apartment that I currently rent and she wanted to talk and we sat down and she asked what was in the bags and I showed her she said oh well how many of those do you drink it's well you know sometimes I might drink four in a day sometimes six depends on how late I'm staying up working and of course she instantly said oh those are bad for you they're just not healthy You shouldn't drink those. Now, mind you, she's roughly my age. She's a couple years older. She looks like she's maybe 15 years older than I am. She's extremely overweight, which I'm not judging the overweight criteria. We'll actually cover that as a topic in these podcasts in the future. She's extremely overweight. She smokes roughly two packs of cigarettes a day. She was drinking a coffee with a series of empty sugar packets lying around the saucer around the cup and her arthritis is so bad at her age which is my age that she can only walk roughly one block uphill at a time and that's why she was at the coffee shop because she needed to take a rest before she made it the rest of the way home and here she is telling me that drinking the Red Bull is unhealthy now Some of you might imagine the irony in that statement. And it's a very interesting phenomenon, especially as I've traveled around Europe and outside of Europe and the Balkans. I've realized that the word health has a very strange meaning, and that meaning is amorphous. So from person to person, what's healthy is different and actually from region to region you can find commonalities in what people mean by healthy depending on what region you're in now of course this might seem obvious to some of you but it's an important point because when somebody says that you should do something to be healthy or that the diet that they're on is healthy or that they eat healthy you don't actually know what they mean 
And this was somewhat related to the main point of a 20th, early 20th century, century philosopher, Ludwig Wittgenstein. Uh, you can look him up if you want. But one of his main premises is this, that in any language, the construction of the language itself always leads to misunderstandings. And that's really the case with just the one word healthy and what we mean by healthy and a healthy diet. And it only becomes more confusing if you scour the internet because, of course, for some people, like the American Dietetic Association, eating as little fat as possible is healthy. Uh, Dr. Dean Ornish is one of the champions of this idea. You should eat as little fat as humanly possible, ignoring the fact that fat is necessary for humans to survive, and also ignoring the fact that his diet has actually shown to increase blood markers for uh, potential disease ahead in the future. But he still sticks to his guns. You've got to admire his tenacity in the face of overwhelming evidence that he's wrong. And some other people will tell you eating organic is healthy. Um, of course, there's vegans who are insanely on the side of Dean Ornish to the point of never eat any meat or any animal product, including honey. Um, you, you can find just about anything. Here in Serbia, if it's in any way artificial, so Red Bull, sugar-free Red Bull, for example, is unhealthy. But cigarettes, they kind of lie in this gray area where they know, well, everybody says they're unhealthy, but it's natural. You know, tobacco is natural, so how bad can it really be? And this confusion really runs rampant. And it's not necessarily anything that a lot of health organizations want to stamp out. It's quite beneficial for them. And this got me thinking even more because I've tried to come up with a definition for health. Most people, if you ask them, they have some idea of healthy, whatever healthy is. And to really define it's difficult. It's one of those words that you know it when you see it, but you can't really describe it. Yeah, some people might just say, well, if you're skinny, you're healthy. Well, I can give you plenty of examples of skinny people who aren't healthy. Uh, Jim Fix, the person who made running popular in the United States in the 70s, said he was going to run, he was thin, he was healthy, he was going to run, and it was going to help him to live until he was 120. Well, he dropped dead at 52. So, not so much on the healthy side. And we have all these strange conundrums. Like, not all of these definitions can have anything to do with healthy. If you ask your doctor, healthy is, well, let's do some blood work, and if everything fits inside of this standard bell curve, if you're within, you know, one to two standard deviations of normal, then you're healthy. Even though that is also a canard. Um, these are the things that are really confusing and that make it very difficult to help somebody to understand what is healthy. And even I have that difficulty. It's hard for me to tell people what healthy is since we don't have a common definition. 
So I started to look at it from a different point of view. So instead of trying to say what is healthy, is it easier to say what causes disease? Because obviously one simple definition of health is the absence of disease. And not only the absence of the disease, but the future absence of disease. So if you're healthy, you're not diseased now and you're not going to get diseased later. That's kind of the premise of what healthy is. So I flipped it around and said, well, how can we look at this from the opposite angle? Can we actually say what causes disease? And over the last several years, that's been part of the problem I've been pursuing is to say exactly how it is, is that most of the diseases we see today occur. And as a lot of people have suspected, it does have to do with mitochondria and it does have to do with carbohydrates. But it's the picture is a far more complex, but the practice, you know, doing what it takes to be healthy or to get healthy is actually pretty easy. But unfortunately, there are a lot of sidetrack there's a lot of sidetracking going on that prevents people from getting on this on the right path or to even understanding where the right path starts or where the wrong path starts. So that's what this podcast really focuses on. And I'll go into different diets and give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'll try to be as fair as possible because as a lot of a lot of articles have noted, everything kind of works. But then we have to define what do we mean by works. If we just mean losing losing weight, then yeah, lots of things work. Can you lose weight and get more diseased at the same time? This is a question you'll probably never hear very often, if ever, because it's just assumed if you lose weight that you're getting healthy. But it turns out most of the methods that we use today to lose weight actually will make you more sick in the process. And this is why we see so much rebounding in the diet world. Every, you can give me any diet, you can tell me about any diet, and every single one of them in a real life context, people rebound. Either they, they can rebound sometimes while staying on the diet, and other times if they go back to trying to eat normal, whatever normal healthy is, as you can tell, this is going to be a fun podcast as we try to define every term that comes up. But as people go back to eating normal, they rebound. This should seem strange to you. If a diet is making you healthy and made you more healthy, then it should be just like a healthy person who started in their teens where it took them another 10 to 20 years to start gaining weight and become unhealthy. So that means if losing weight, and let's say you went on a crash diet, you got down to the same weight you were when you were 18 or 19, if losing weight meant getting healthy, then suddenly you would be as healthy as you were when you were that age, which means you should go back to eating the same way, and it should take you another 20, 30 years to gain the weight back and to get sick again. This doesn't happen. And unfortunately, people haven't been exploring this conundrum. They just think that, well, 
once once you're overweight and you eat too much, apparently you have no self-control, you have no willpower, and therefore it's your fault if you gain weight again. And I would contend it's actually not. You even gaining weight in the first place is not really your fault. And gaining more weight back after you attempt a diet is definitely not your fault because your diet probably made you more sick. And as we'll see in this podcast, as I explain all of these new concepts, and you know, I haven't heard anybody put together the full synchronized picture like I have tried to do, we'll quickly learn that, and this is going to upset some people, if you're carrying excess body fat, then you are somewhere in what I call the disease state. Now, of course, I'm going to have to tell you what the disease state is, and we'll get there. But again, this is what this podcast is about. It's going to talk about this disease state, exactly what it is. And in each of the episodes, I'm going to try to talk about a different diet or a different supplement or different trends that are going on and how those trends are possibly and most likely accelerating the disease state. Even if you're losing weight, even if you feel better temporarily, even if it quells some symptoms that you have, I guarantee you the vast majority of diets that are out there are actually accelerating your disease state while they temporarily make you feel better or temporarily help you lose weight. And this turns out when you think about it this way and you start learning about how the body works and you start learning how the disease progression works I actually call it the disease cascade as you understand how this disease cascade works and you think about the vague notion of health and how it's been how the word health has been abused to sell just about everything including health care and health insurance you start to actually see this really heinous phenomenon. Now, mind you, in trying to figure all this out, I didn't just have an epiphany with all the answers. I had to do research. And for anybody who's followed me over the last several years, you know, I've been doing this. I went and read my first journal article when I was 16 years old. That was almost 28 years ago. For even probably some of you listening, that was before you were born. And for a lot of people listening, that was before they were even able to read. So this has been more than half of my life, way more than half of my life, researching this subject. And the scary thing is, all the information is in the research. Now, granted, a lot of it's come up in the last five to ten years, which is why I've continuously been researching and reading these articles. And it's also why I've been very careful about being adamant about any one position because I didn't have all the information. And I know it frustrated people to no end when they would ask me some question and I would say, well, I don't know. And that's just the simple fact of the matter. There was no way to know or my knowledge base hadn't grown enough at that point to cover the answer to that question. Well, I feel like I'm in a position now where I don't have to say I don't know and that's what I want to convey to you. I want to put you in a situation 
or when you have a question about yourself or a question about a new diet or a question about a new su supplement or even a question about Deepak Chopra talking about the collapse of the wave function in your brain that allows you to think yourself thin whenever you want. You can listen to these things and you don't have to say, I don't know. You can, you can either say, yes, that fits exactly with known science or that's just stupid. And you'll find 99% of the time your answer is going to be, that's just stupid. So... I won't, as I started to allude to, there's this, this vague notion of health and not having defined this disease cascade previously has led to a really heinous system in the United States. And it tipped me off and brought it all home when I read the book Propaganda by Edward Bernays, who happens to be the father of modern marketing psychology in the United States. He published his first book in the mid-1920s, and he was the nephew of Sigmund Freud. So he was very knowledgeable and very adept at understanding group psychology and psychology in general at the time. And you might want to note, his first book, which was essentially about marketing techniques, was called Propaganda. Well, at the end of that book, when he's talking about businesses and how they should market, he made an interesting point that in the modern world, a business's main problem that they have to solve is not creating a product, but creating and growing an audience or growing their customers. And for him, any method to do this was completely acceptable and as far as the company went totally ethical for the company because corp corporate ethics are really based on increasing profits at all costs that's why we usually put humans in charge of them so a human ethic can help to temper that corporate ethic which never happens but that is the general idea and this brought it home for me because i realized that there are several industries in the U.S. that have had to conspire together and have inadvertently fed off of each other to create their market. And that market, it turns out, depends heavily on manufacturing, surprisingly, which was not the problem that Edward Bernays originally alluded to, but what these three pillars have done is they've actually learned how to manufacture disease. And this is going to be a key concept through all of these podcasts is this idea of manufacturing disease. We live in a world of manufactured disease. There's a lot of reasons why Alzheimer's wasn't well understood at the turn of the 20th century in the late 1800s, early 1900s. There's a reason why we didn't understand cancer very well. There's a reason why it was called age onset diabetes because we didn't see type 2 diabetes until people got much, much older. All of these diseases and more are really symptomatic of these industries learning how to effectively manufacture disease. And of course, that wasn't their original intent. Their original intent was to just grow their audiences. And I would argue that they 
probably on some level still only see themselves as growing their customer base. They're not looking at the full picture. So you can imagine what these three pillars are. One of them is the food industry. You can grow all the food you want, but people can only realistically eat so much. So if you can find foods that people can eat easily, and if you're lucky, those foods do not keep you satiated very long, then you'll eat more. You'll eat more than you need. And although there's some argument about how much calorie consumption has gone up in the U.S., there is no argument that there are so many products that are so accessible, snack foods, even even the health products that you might think of as helping you, like Cliff Bars for runners or the Quest Bars that are supposed to be low-carbohydrate, even though, of course, they've been sued for false label claims. These things, they're all adding to the problem, unfortunately. And this is just the bottom pillar. So this, this layer of customer, of acquiring customers and increasing their customer base, so increasing their sales, has started to make people sick. And as it has, like I said, we'll go into this entire process throughout these podcasts. This is actually a prelude to my book that I'm going to be releasing in the near future. And this is more the conversational side of that book. So this will give you some idea of the details that will be in that book. And this podcast will be less less detail-oriented so that you can take things away from it to help yourself. And one of those things that you can immediately use is realizing that food companies are doing anything they can to get you to eat more of their product. That's how they make money. And in doing so, they've, they've manufactured the first layer of disease, which, you know, most people know. I mean, the first symptom of disease is not type 2 diabetes or any or high blood pressure or atherosclerosis the actual first symptom of this disease cascade is gaining body fat gaining body fat as we'll learn is not causing disease it is a direct consequence of already being in the disease state so the the food come the food industry has done this and We'll talk about the various ways they have. But then along comes the pharmaceutical industry. And in the 70s and 80s, it was heavily deregulated in order to fight all these diseases that were coming up that were caused by the food industry, particularly in the U.S. Well, when those first came out, they were fighting symptoms. And now, 40 years down the road, we actually know that the way they fight some of these symptoms speeds up or accelerates the disease cascade. And a simple example is cholesterol medication. Cholesterol-lowering medication, the way it works actually then causes the body to speed up the development of type 2 diabetes. Now, you can imagine how heinous this is since there are organizations, very influential organizations, who are trying to lobby to put in cholesterol-lowering medication into child's food 
so that kids can get on cholesterol-lowering medication in their preteens just in case. And the research is there. And I'm not only talking about epidemiological studies, which is not scientific, uh, but we actually know the pathways that this happens. So we know exactly how science has elucidated exactly how these cholesterol medications accelerate the development of type 2 diabetes. This is a boon for pharmaceutical companies because the more they can get people sick, the more medications they need. So they start off on cholesterol-lowering medication, then they need type 2 diabetes medication. And as we'll see, that medication actually accelerates the next stage of the disease landscape, which could include Alzheimer's. It could include cancer. And actually, there is an increase in the rate of cancer risk with type 2 diabetes medication. This is inconceivable that an industry would work to make people sick in order to sell more medication. And if, if you have any doubts about this, how this happens, when the, the medication works kind of slow, it takes several years for it to get you to the next stage, even though it's faster than you normally would. Here's, here's a real life story to tell you how sinister this actually is. So recently, the World Health Organization met up to assess potential new disease classifications. And with a new disease classification, then there's new justifications for prescribing medications. So they looked at coining the condition pre-diabetes, which you've probably heard about recently because it is literally a new disease, according to the World Health Organization. So the panel assessed all the data, all the epidemiological data that they had, some experimental data, and they ran the statistics, and the statistics clearly showed that around out of what out of around 10,000 people or so, I believe is the, the number, one person, a single person, would receive benefit. Now, in that same analysis, almost a hundred percent of those people would suffer a side effect that would require medication later. But that part of the analysis didn't matter. All they saw is, well, we could help one person. So we should go ahead and coin this new disease, pre-diabetes, with these new blood markers, this new range that blood sugar can be in to be pre-diabetic. Everything sounds great. So instantly, that new classification put 20 to 30 million Americans who didn't have disease, if they'd gone into their doctor a month before this decision was made, the doctor said they would have been fine. But going into the doctor now, they're suddenly told that they have a disease. They have prediabetes. It's this new disease. So for 20 to 30 million Americans, the average cost of diabetes medication, even through your health insurance or if you pay out of pocket, well, it's going to be through your health insurance, it costs in the range of $12,000 to $20,000 a year, depending on the health insurance carrier. So that is... $20,000, or we'll just split the difference, say $15,000 for 30 million Americans that goes into the hands of the pharmaceutical companies. That's billion dollars a year increase in profits. 
billions every year because of this new designation. Now, the panel in the World Health Organization that made this decision was made up of 13 people. Of those 13 people, 11 of them worked directly for U.S. pharmaceutical companies. So if you think that I'm being crazy and coming up with a conspiracy theory, it's not. This is the world we live in. We live in a world of manufactured disease. And the companies are learning how to create and manufacture disease at a staggering rate. And it's not because they're evil people, although you could view them that way. It's because they're looking to increase profits for their corporations in any way possible. If a CEO can get a jump in the corporate profits of $3 billion a year, almost with a sudden change and them doing nothing, their pay goes up. They get a bigger bonus. It's really about just following the money and where it is. And the third pillar of this axis is health insurance. Or, well, health care. I should be very careful to d differentiate them. Health care and health care providers that are for profit. They also feed into this system because as people get more sick, then health insurance can charge them more and then that money they make deals with hospitals to get lower prices lower prices for medications and so on and so forth and again if you think i'm being crazy and then i'm making wild accusations they did a recent study of hospitals that are for profit so these hospitals work to try to generate revenue they have two to ten times the repeat patient induction of not-for-profit hospitals they get their patients to come in an order of magnitude more times because every one of those visits gets cash from the health insurance world to the hospital. So the, the entire thing is sick. And the problem is we can't battle this problem. This, this problem is completely intractable if we don't all share a common definition and a common understanding of health and that's what this podcast is for it's to cut through all the crap it's to cut through all the personalities it's to cut through all the ego and it's to try to help propagate a legacy of honesty and facts and i don't care if my name is attached to this in the future what i do care about is that these seeds can grow and really help to change things in the future. It's a future I probably won't live to see because it's going to take 50, 60, 70 years to make these changes. But these changes, if people just change their lifestyle a little bit, we could see the elimination of 90% of cancers, of type two diabetes, of obesity, of cholesterol issues, of atherosclerosis, heart issues, stroke, Alzheimer's. All of these things could disappear. And that's what this podcast is about. So, if, in, interestingly, or I hope you'll be interested, it ties in other things that you might not even be thinking about. Like, take for example, DNA testing companies. They're a huge part of this problem, and you probably don't even know it. If you got a DNA test, I'm sure it costs you maybe 100, 200 bucks to get that that test done 
what you might not know is that could end up costing you a couple of thousand dollars per year and it could end up costing every immediate family member of yours an extra two thousand dollars a year so if you were thinking about getting a dna test i highly suggest that you wait for the upcoming episode about dna testing and all of these other health trackers and food trackers because they're doing a lot of work to make sure that you end up paying a lot more for health care than you would normally and why would they do this because it's one way for them to make massive amounts of money and i'll talk about all of this and more in future episodes so this first episode is really just an introduction into what i've been doing and where i'd like to go and of course many of you have noticed at this point that i haven't really talked about athletics or exercise performance and that's because it's a separate issue there's a lot of people who will never go to the gym or never strive to increase their performance but this podcast actually lays the foundations because it's become clear to me over the last several years that in order to have peak performance then the body has to also be operating at peak health and this goes this is completely contrarian to the attitude that's out there it's like well true high performance athletes just have to be sick to be at that level and that's absolutely not true unfortunately it's the ignorance of a lot of people who are helping these high performance athletes that are making them sick and causing their careers to burn out in a few years when they have they could have careers 20 years long and never see a decrease in performance but again this is a major major paradigm shift in how we look at health and disease and how everything is contributing to it including the health industry you know i have to admit the health industry is actually fueling this whole cycle it's part of the cycle that's why there hasn't been too much hoopla from any government agency over the recommendation of all these diets that are floating around out there sure there's freedom of press but there's ways for different agencies to put pressure on people and they have selectively in the past but it's been very rare and it's because all of this information and shooting people off in all kinds of different directions keeps them in the disease state or accelerates their disease state which just means more money and there's there's just so much money in all of this that it's going to be maybe impossible to derail i don't know but to get back to the idea of athletics I won't be talking about that in this podcast, but because of that, I'm bringing back my old show, Biojacked. And in that, I will very specifically address the needs of athletes and across the spectrum, things that you have not heard talked about before because nobody else actually, surprisingly, is looking at some of the things that I've been able to uncover in the last few years so you're going to learn a lot about sports performance that you didn't previously know and also there's a third podcast that i'm going to be starting that's a little more fun a little cheeky and it will just be as unbiased as it can possibly be 
in the presentation. But that podcast is going to be a world without vegans. And some of you are going to laugh at this point. But in that podcast, I will demonstrate factually and unbiasedly how vegans are single-handedly one of the most destructive forces for human health, for one, but also the planet. Some of you might not care about global warming or you might think it's a myth, which clearly global warming is a phenomenon. Whatever cause you think might be, whether it's a natural cause or whatever. But what vegans are doing is more heinous than global warming. They're causing issues that could very substantially cripple human life on Earth way before the major impact of global warming ever gets to us. So look for those two podcasts coming up. Uh, Let me just reiterate, don't get your DNA test. If you have been thinking about doing that, I would recommend holding off. And on the next episode of Deconstructing Health, I will talk about the ketogenic diet and exogenous ketones. And spoiler alert, if you were thinking about buying exogenous ketones, don't.